Hey everybody. One of the things that we've been committed to as a church is to help people on their journey with God. In fact, we've often said that we want to help people know and experience God to know who God is, to, know, to, to learn and understand his character and the, his ways in our lives, and then to also experience his presence in our lives by the Holy Spirit. When it comes to knowing God, um, so many people are at different places on their journey and they're looking to understand uh, a, a different facet of who God is. We want to know the character of God. We want to know how salvation works or how we can have a relationship with God. Uh, we want to know who Jesus Christ was or the work of the Holy Spirit or someone to understand what the Bible is and whether it has any relevance in our lives. And understanding the Bible can be a big part of us then understanding who God is. And uh, I grew up in a, a family that honored the Bible and had a great deal of respect and revered the Bible, really. Um, this was my, my mother's Bible, and this was given to her in 1972. And I can remember, even as a young kid, her gradually reading through this, sitting in her armchair in the living room, uh, and I was probably a preschooler, so at home a lot, and I can also remember her gradually underlining the different books of the Bible as she had read them and worked her way through them. Uh, going back further, this was my grandfather's Bible. This, um, my grandfather died like 35 years ago, I think, but this still smells of their house. And, uh, uh, and all the way through it, this, this book was given to him, in, or it's dated 1946. But all the way through it are my grandfather's notes of when he was studying uh, the Bible and definitely a student of the Bible. Uh, but I know that that's not everybody else's experience. In fact, it might be that some of you grew up with stories of the Bible as a kid. You might have grown up understanding or knowing about Noah's Ark and Daniel on the lion's den and uh, David and Goliath. And all those uh, accounts are in the Old Testament. But sometimes it doesn't take long for someone in our family to, to sort of have very different views about what we thought was, was rock solid beliefs. And uh, in no time at all, what seemed to be... Um, seem to be very clear understanding of God revealed through the scriptures can be something that can topple over. And in no time, it seems like all of our faith and all of our trust and all of our belief in God can easily be gone. And one uh, pastor, Andy Stanley, said that it seems that sometimes our, our, our worldview when it comes to God changes and, and, we, and, it, and it grows up, but our view of the Bible does not grow up and we have this problem. And so we want to kind of unpack this over the next few weeks. And some of you may remember that on Easter Sunday, we had our dear friend Abdu Murray uh, share some stuff with us to do with the resurrection. Uh, and it was, it was great. Some of you really appreciate that. So we are going to experience some input from Abdu over these next few weeks as we unpack the scriptures in this series, Demystify. The more I study the Bible, the more I look at it, the more I'm convinced it's a timeless book that applies to almost every situation. The reason the Bible itself actually exists is to give you a picture of who God is and how much he cares for you. Can you believe that? Can you believe that there could be a collection of books 
a collection of uh, scriptures, words from God, where God wants to reveal his love for us in the pages of scripture. Uh, it's very easy. So many of us uh, just believe that the, the, the accounts of David and Goliath rank up there in the same way as Elsa and Anna, and it's just all fairy tales. And we can have a habit of deciding. We can go either one of two ways. We can say, I will either check my brain at the door when it comes to exploring my faith and exploring uh, Christianity. I can check my faith at the door and just leave logical thought and everything that I might have learned at college or everything scientific at the door, or I can just, I can just, walk away. I can never give it a second thought at this part, at this point, never give, never give Christianity a second uh, thought because it just seems like it might be fairy tale. Well, I want us to, uh, I want us to look, uh, take a, a serious look at the Bible over these next few weeks. I want us to ask these questions. Is it reliable and can it be trusted? Is it true? And specifically today, I want to look at the New Testament. And, and of course, the New Testament, as we know, is centered around the person of Jesus and the life of Jesus and his, uh, his work, his death, his burial and resurrection and everything that took place in response to that as the church began. And so we know specifically in terms of dates when that happened. Uh, Jesus was born around, um, oddly enough, between three to five BC um, and then died around 30 AD. And so we can, we can look at history and we can see, of course, if you know anything, like I don't know a lot about that period, but if you look around uh, AD 70, there was the great siege of Jerusalem under uh, Roman occupation. Uh, the biggest event under that, that we know about, of course, was the destruction of the Jewish temple. Now, that took place in AD 70, a well-documented uh, historical fact. This would have been, I mean, imagine 9-11 times a million, you know, like a huge deal for the, uh, for the Jewish people that the, that the temple was destroyed. And what's interesting is that the writers of the New Testament who wrote in so many cases with specific detail and times and historical location and under the reign of different leaders and, uh, and zip codes and all that kind of like geographical evidence, the writers of the New Testament never mentioned the destruction of Jerusalem. They never mentioned the destruction of the temple under the Roman occupation. And the reason that took place, most scholars agree, is because it hadn't happened yet, that the gospels were written before AD 70. And that has such an important, uh, it's, it's an important thing to bear in mind because one of the uh, grids that is used as to describe, as to working out is an ancient document reliable or not, is how close it was in time to the source that it is describing. Like nowhere in the New Testament is the, is the siege of, of Jerusalem mentioned. And so with that in mind, scholars believe that most of it took place, before, most of the writings took place before AD 70. And it's important because it shows the, the possibility of eyewitness accounts to what took place. Now, scholars take this uh, eyewitness account very seriously. And I, I love to read the Gospel of Luke uh, the beginning of the Gospel of Luke with this in mind. Because at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke is a physician, he's a learned individual, he writes with extreme detail and precision. And he writes this in Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. 
just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, O most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. Imagine that. Luke's writing with information that is handed from eyewitnesses. It's as if he's interviewed multiple people to get the exact information on what took place regarding the life and the death and resurrection of Christ. He says it was information that was he carefully investigated everything. I love that. I love to, to read a part of Scripture and realize that Luke, one of the, the champions of the, the gospel writing that wrote the life of Jesus, carefully investigated everything. Now, here's another thing. The beginning of chapter 3, this is the kind of thing that I normally skim past. The kind of thing that if I'm reading the Bible, I'm looking for my verse for the day. I want to get past this as soon as possible to get to the, the meat of the text. But sometimes the glorious truth is in the details. In, in Luke chapter 3, he, he records, he, he could have just said the word of the Lord came to John and dot, dot, dot and carried on. But he, instead, he said, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitus, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Incredible detail. Luke lists eight people to just set up who John was. Eight people, seven of them in government uh, official roles that can be historically corroborated. So now, as you know today, that you can't uh, quote a whole bunch of people and then make up some information without there being some, you know, accusations of fake news going on and on the television and the media and social media and that kind of thing. And the same principle would have applied back then as well. You can't quote multiple government officials and leaders of the day without them then questioning what you were saying if what you were saying wasn't true about the death, burial and resurrection of Christ. The idea that eyewitnesses were mentioned and, and were, were interviewed and studied for the, writers of the, for the writing of the Gospel of Luke is, an, is incredible detail. Another point that they use for their, for their grid is that they ask the question, do we have early manuscripts of, of what was originally written down? In the, the discipline of modern source criticism, uh, it's explained the closer a source is to the event it describes, the more one can trust it to give an accurate historical description of what actually happened. Now, so the Gospels were written before AD 70. So um, the, the, the time span from the original event happening to it being written down was extremely short. So our, our belief in the reliability of the Gospels um, is high. And then in addition to that, they look at document reliability. And this is, this is a fascinating thing, this is, that, that they, they look at the, the number of copies of the, of the manuscript they have, the time span between the original and the copy, and the, and the accuracy of the copy it, themselves. 
So now when you, when you compare this, when you compare the New Testament writings to the writings of some other uh, significant historical writings that we take at face value, say for instance, the, the, the writings of Plato. So Plato's writings, the, the first copy from the, the, from the original uh, time that it happened is about 1200 years. There are seven copies of it. And as to the accuracy of those copies, it's, there's too few to tell. It's the same with the, the writings of, C, of Julius Caesar. A thousand year span between the first copy and the original writing. Uh, there's 10 copies of it, and there's far too few copies to tell whether it's accurate or not. The same with Aristotle. 1400 years, 49 copies, and too few to tell. And when it comes to uh, Homer, Homer's, uh, the, the Iliad, uh, I didn't read this at school, but I know a lot of you did read this at school. By the way, it has nothing to do with The Simpsons, okay? Um, when you read the Iliad, there is a 500-year span between the first copy of the Iliad and when it was originally written. There are 643 copies of it, and because of that, we believe it to be 95% accurate. Just think of that, 500 year span, 643 copies, results uh, in like secular hist hist um, uh, professors would tell you that there would be a 95% uh, uh, accuracy to that document. Now, when you take into account the, the, the document accuracy of the, the, the New Testament, it is in a different league. There is a less than 100 year time when the early where we have the earliest manuscripts and when those events took place in the the 30s and 40s uh, there are 5600 copies of the new testament in that time and that gives us a 99.5 percent accuracy 99.5 percent accurate accuracy and even the pieces that aren't accurate don't essentially change anything of the big picture of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and all that took place. Isn't that incredible? Now, I want to uh, hand us over to Abdu Murray, who uh, reiterates some of this stuff, um, but also has a great perspective on it as well. I always appreciate Abdu and the work that he has done and the study that he's done uh, to uh, show the reliability and the believability of the Gospels. Let's, let's watch this together. Well, if you're asking the question, is the Bible reliable and trustworthy, there's really two ways to look at that. Is it reliable in the sense that what we have today was what was written originally? That's one level of reliability, is what we have today, what was originally written. The second level of reliability is whether or not what it says is actually true. Now, those are two different questions. If you tackle the first part, is what we have today what was written then? There are what one scholar called an embarrassment of riches when it comes to the New Testament, for example. We have some incredibly ancient, very early manuscript copies of the New Testament. Um, in Greek alone, we have almost 6,000. We have almost 25,000 in Greek and in other languages. And some of these date back to, in one instance, with a fragment of uh, the Bible called P52, which dates to between 95 and 150 A.D., now, that's a blink compared to the, the days of Jesus. So we have the earliest manuscripts actually within a generation of Jesus' actual life, death, and teachings. So we have great reasons to believe that the Bible that was written as far as the New Testament goes, what was written originally then is what we have now, a huge amount of manuscript evidence. We have something very similar to that also with the Old Testament. This is what's interesting. For the longest time, people thought that the Old Testament was unreliable because 
the translations we have of the Old Testament now are based on a document called the Masoretic Text, which is the Old Testament, but it's, uh, it's in the 900s AD. Now, that's really far after the events the Old Testament claims to record. So we thought, well, how can we possibly know that that's what the original actually said? Well, then we uncovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are dating even pre-Jesus' time. And when we take a look at those scrolls, which are Old Testament scrolls, and we compare them to the Masoretic Text, what you see is a remarkable similarity between the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Masoretic Text, which shows us something. Not only do we have the documents preserved, but the scribes were super careful about how they actually preserved what they believed to be the Word of God. Then you look at even older documents. There was one, for example, that was burned. They found a scroll that was actually burned, and you couldn't open it because if you opened it, it would crumble into a million little pieces. They took a laser scanner and did a cyclical scanning around the document. So they virtually unfolded it. And it's even older than the Dead Sea Scrolls, and it shows us that the, that document is exactly what we have in the current Old Testament documents. So pretty amazing stuff. So the question of reliability is what they wrote then, what we have now? The answer is yes. That reliability is answered. The next question, of course, is this. Well, you can have a bunch of lies that were written down a long time ago and perpetuated down through the centuries. How do you know it wasn't a lie then either? Well, what you begin to see is some amazing stuff. For example, you see archaeological evidence that is corroborating the Bible, both Old and New Testaments, over and over and over again. Uh, people had thought that Luke had got certain facts wrong about uh, the, the tetrarchs of Abila, for example. Lysanias was a tetrarch of Abila, and people said, oh, Luke's got that wrong. He botched it, because he wasn't. But then you look at archaeological evidence that shows that a man named uh, uh, Lysanias was actually a co-tetrarch or a later tetrarch of Abila. And so Luke was actually confirmed by later archaeological evidence. Then you see some things in the New Old Testament that are even, even more remarkable. <clears throat> in Genesis chapter 14, for example, uh, Moses, who many believe wrote the Old Testament, wrote the five books of Moses, um, lists uh, a series of cities that Abraham goes through. He lists Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, uh, Zeboim, and Zoar in that order. Now, people thought these were fabled cities. They didn't find any evidence of these things. He just made it up. But then you see the archaeological evidence that comes from the Ebla tablets, ancient, ancient, ancient tablets that are non-biblical. They weren't even written by the Hebrews. And they list in the same order Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, and Zoar. And those are a trade route. And people would go in that order for the trade route. Here's the really weird part. Those cities were destroyed before Moses' time. So how did he know about them in order to write them and put them in Genesis? So not only did he get the names right, not only did he get the sequences right, but he got the very fact that they exist right when he couldn't have known that, which is just one example of the ways I think the Bible begins to show you a rich tradition of not only faithful transmission down through the centuries, but amazing facts that we're corroborating all the time. And I could go on and on with archaeological evidence that's being turned up all the time, but I think it's summed up really great in one particular quote. Craig Evans, who's a friend of mine and a biblical scholar, he made the point uh, at a presentation I once heard. He said, do you know what book, what document archaeologists refer to first? When they want to say, I want to start digging and looking for this civilization in the Middle East. What document do I go to first to find out where to start to, to shove my shovel in the ground? What's the first document? The Bible. The Bible is the first document secular archaeologists look to to find out 
Where should I dig first to find the answers? That's a ringing endorsement, if you ask me, about the, the, the things the Bible has to say. Isn't that incredible to watch? As I watch that, I'm reminded of another factor in the process of arguing the reliability of the Scriptures. And for me, that's this. There was an extreme cost involved in writing down and reporting all that took place to describe the life and the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus and everything that took place after that. Just think that the disciples wrote this stuff down at extreme cost to their lives. Why would 11 disciples end up being tortured and in most cases uh, uh, martyred for their faith for something that they actually didn't believe in? They absolutely believed to the cost of their lives. Why would they go through that if it wasn't true? You know, even as I watch Abdu uh, and the, the study that he has done and the wealth of experience that he brings to the table, you know, he was a Muslim before. And as a Muslim, he went on a, a nine-year quest for truth in his life that led him to believing in the death and resurrection of Jesus, led him to believe that the Bible was, was true and trustworthy. And don't doubt that that wasn't at great cost for him because he's somebody that had to, uh, uh, to, to separate from his own family and friends because of that. He teaches that stuff at great cost and the disciples uh, paid a great price for what they witnessed. They paid a great price for what they saw and believed in and wrote down and reported and preached all across the world. And the amazing thing is, is that it still happens today. Still today in multiple countries of the world, people give their lives for their faith. And we're in this place in our country where we, we can't even imagine what that could be like. But there are people where their faith in Christ costs their lives. And we are, we are banking on the resurrection of Jesus Christ for our own lives um, as being a fact, as described in the New Testament. And, you know, it still happens today. I've still, I've had a front row seat, and some of you have as well, a front row seat to the incredible change that a relationship with the God of the Bible makes in people's lives. And so I would encourage you, I mean, look up Abdu Murray on YouTube and, and do some of your own research as well and see what kind of uh, material you can find that he's put together that will explain some of the things that perhaps you didn't understand. One of the, the, the people that he mentioned at the end of that video was uh, a gentleman by the name of Craig Evans, who's an archaeologist, and uh, Abdu said he was a fr good friend of his. He was actually a, a professor of mine when I did my, uh, when I did my seminary um, studies, and it was an incredible week to spend listening to such an incredible professor of archaeology, and uh, uh, Craig Evans has specifically studied what archaeologists call the historical Jesus. And what the historical Jesus is, is any information or archaeological evidence, historical evidence, and uh, uh, other information that they can bring that comes from outside of the New Testament. And as an archaeologist, and he invited us to go on digs with him and this kind of stuff, I wish I had. But as an archaeologist, they, uh, they, they have discovered that um, in studying the historical Jesus, that evidence outside of the Gospels through archaeology, through local history, through uh, other sources uh, written at the time, will corroborate 95% of all that is written in the New Testament about Jesus. 
and the other 5% isn't enough to, to, to shake the, uh, uh, the foundation of any of it at all. See, the more I understand the truth and the reliability and the, how much I believe in the Jesus of the Gospels and the God of the New Testament, the more I can believe that Jesus is the most consistent, the most trustworthy, the most believable individual that I believe is, uh, as he said, his, his, uh, his claims, as he said, of being one with fa the Father in heaven can be believed. And he is someone in the midst of the chaos of our lives, we can put our faith in. And so I pray that over these next few weeks, over these next four weeks, as we study um, uh, the reliability of the Bible and we dig into some parts of the scripture that may be perhaps new to some of you, I pray that our Demystify series will be a continual encouragement to all of us as we, uh, as we journey through this together.